and verse number 15. John 14 and verse 15. I referred to this passage uh, last Sunday morning uh, multiple times, but we never actually uh, turned to it. And so I want you to um, become familiar with this verse. And and it's a real simple verse, but it carries with it a tremendously uh, important meaning and message. Amen. And speaking of, of last Sunday morning, I want, I want to encourage you, uh, if you weren't here, um, to take a few minutes and, uh, and, and listen to that sermon. Um, I believe uh, Father's you know, saying some very important things to us. And, um, and last uh, Sunday, I feel like he really helped me kind of capture his heart uh, concerning some things. And um, if you weren't here, uh, you know, you'll still be able to benefit from this morning's message, but we're going to... Uh, kind of pick up where we left off, so to speak, and expound on uh, those things uh, more and more. Praise God. So I said last week, and I'll say it again this morning, I'm unapologetically a faith preacher. Um, We walk and live by faith. Uh, Some people talk about the word of faith movement like it's some kind of offshoot or some kind of, uh, even some people assign it a a cult type of status, which is ridiculous. If, if you read the Bible, I mean, the, the, the actual expression, word of faith, comes from the Bible itself. This is the word of faith which we preach. Amen. And so I, I make no apologies for that. I've preached faith for, for many, many years. But of late, and when I say of late, really for the, for the past year or more now, the Lord has really emphasized the aspect of faith that involves trust. And the word, the Greek word, for faith, or that's, that's translated faith, is also translated believe, and it also uh, carries with it the meaning of trust. And it's, it's the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, um, in uh, uh, the, uh, the Greek language. And so a lot of times when, you know, when you're reading along about people who believed in God, amen, um, then there, there was at least some level of trust in him associated uh, with that. And... Um, before we, well, I tell you, let's just go ahead and look at the verse, John 14 and 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, we could certainly say obey my commandments, but keeping is more than obeying. Keeping means to treasure. It, it means to um, to, to tend, to, to take uh, care of, to have a, a mind for. It's more than just um, obedience. Remember Jesus said in the Old Testament, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. There are a lot of people who uh, really strive to obey, uh, but not with a willing heart. And so when he says to keep the command, he's talking about something that you trek, that you protect, that you treasure, um, that, that you watch over, uh, again, consider it to be something precious, uh, something that, that, that you um, uh, really care about, uh, maybe something that you would keep in a safe in your home. That, that would be something that you keep. Notice you keep it in a safe or keep it in a safe place. And so when he says to keep my commandments, certainly uh, obey, do, but it also carries with it the idea of treasuring his commandments. Now, here is just a a statement, and the the Lord's been given us statements throughout our study, and the statement is that father is weary of his children 
loving him but not trusting him. He is weary of his children loving him but not trusting him. So we value as we should our love for God. And remember, the Lord brought a word to us several years ago that um, in addition to professing our love for Him, that we also need to begin to confess or profess His love for us. And um, when we look at two of the great apostles, the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter, we see some differences in these men, and, and I could, I could kind of summarize it, at least in, in their growth and development, that Peter put a lot of his confidence in his love for Jesus, wherein John instead put a lot of his confidence in Jesus' love for him. And our love for Jesus is important, but your ability to love him is based upon your understanding of his love for you. You love him because he first loved you. The more you understand the love he has for you, the greater capacity to you the greater capacity you have to return that love back to Him, to love Him in return. You see, when you stand before Him one day, uh, your love for Him is going to be important, but what's going to get you through on that day is going to be His love for you. Amen. Amen. And so that's where our confidence should reside. And so we're talking about this link between loving God and living by faith, and we said that link is this link of trust this link of trust. See, we trust God because He loves us. We trust God because He only wants good for us, right? And, and so um, love has its important place, but we said trust is the real currency of any relationship. Now, some of this is review, so just bear with me for a minute, okay, because this bears repeating. How meaningful and effective can any relationship be that has love but no trust? And I have, you know, back years ago, I've preached that love and trust, you, you can't have one without the other, but I've since learned that that's, that's incorrect. Um, you can have love for another person, but not necessarily trust that person. Um, you, as, as I've said a few times already, you can love somebody, but that doesn't mean you're going to give them the keys to your car. See, we're talking about two different things here. Now, now Father God wants us to love Him, but He also wants us to trust Him. He wants us to love him and to trust him. And where a lot of his, and I listen, there are times, you know, where I just know that I know that I know that the Lord is speaking to me. And, and this statement about him growing weary of his children, loving him, but not trusting him. Because what's happening is our, our love for him and fondness in our hearts for him, as important as that is, it'll only carry us so far. And, and, and like we saw in, in Peter's situation, he had this tremendous fondness, this tremendous affection for Jesus. No doubt about that. Jesus never questioned that. Okay? But when he was faced with challenges, when he was faced with, with um, threat, when he was faced with uh, you know, some uh, issue in his life, uh, his fondness for Jesus didn't see him through that. Um, it, it's because he had a fondness for the Lord but had not yet learned to trust him enough uh, to stand when he was confronted um, you know, by some hostility from the enemy. So 
Father wants you to love and trust Him, and this is what He means when He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So this, this is not, there's no manipulation in love. So this isn't about Jesus trying to guilt you into, shame you into loving Him. You know, it's, you know, we hear, well, if you love me, you'd do this for me. If you love me, you'd take care of this for me. If you love me, you'd give this to me. We hear that in a worldly sense. That's worldly manipulation, and that's not love. Love has zero manipulation in it. Love does not manipulate, all right? You've got to understand that. Love does not manipulate in the same way that faith does not place demands on other people, right? True love is not, a, is not about what you can get from somebody. It's about what you can, can give to them. But let me, amen, let, me, let me get back to this. So when he says to you and to me, if you love me, keep my commandments, okay, this is not about him trying to make you feel guilty into doing what he says, okay? Um, remember, every word that he's ever spoken to you has had your best interest in mind. It would be different if um, God's words were merely opinions to be considered, okay? It'd be different. How about this one now? If God had a hidden agenda or some self-seeking motive. See, that's why people... You know, we hear manipulation, if you love me, you would do this, right? Because anytime somebody says that to you, they, they have some self-seeking motive I- involved. They have a hidden agenda. They're, they're trying to, you know, challenge your love for them by, by forcing you to prove it in, in, in doing something for them or giving something to them or making some concession to benefit them, See, if you, if you read the, the very, and I encourage you to do it in the amplified version. You can look it up on any computer, smartphone, or whatever. Read Father's detailed definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And you'll see that it's not self-seeking. That's one of the, 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 the characteristics of, of true and genuine love. Is it, it, it's, it, it doesn't seek its own. It's not, it's not self-seeking. And so when he says to you, when love, God is love, when love says to you, if you love me, keep my commandments, honor my commandments, treasure my commandments, follow what I'm instructing you to do, there's no hidden agenda, there's no self-seeking motive. Now, I want to develop this because we kind of rushed through this part last Sunday. So many of God's children treat him and his word as if he's trying to get one over on them. Now, I've never heard it said quite that way, and, and you know, when, when I felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting me in these things, I was like, man, is that still you, Holy Spirit, or is that, is that just me? You know, because that's kind of a strong statement right there. And so if it's the Holy Spirit, you can always find it in the Scriptures, and obviously, you know, we, we see in the Scriptures where, where God's people ultimately looked at him as if he had this hidden agenda or this self-seeking motive or that he had uh, commanded them to do something um, only to uh, manipulate them into a situation that was going to cause them some kind of loss or some kind of harm uh, or cause them to miss out on uh, something that was otherwise uh, good or beneficial. Going all the way back to um, the the Garden of Eden, this was the, the lie that Adam and Eve believed, that God was trying to, you know, told them not to eat from the fruit of that one tree because he was trying to keep something good from them. He was trying to prevent them from experiencing something that would make them like himself. 
Notice, again, he's calling into questions God's motives and God's intentions. This is always on the opposite side of trust. In other words, we, we don't trust God because we're afraid of what will happen if we do. Which, if you think it through, and I'm not trying to like heap some kind of pressure or condemnation by any means on us this morning, but if you think about it, you know, if, if God is instructing us to do something that we don't trust Him enough to do, it's because we think that He has some, in other words, that, that it's going to turn out bad for us if we do this. It's, it's not going to work out uh, favorably for us if we do. Now, let me, um, let me give you just a couple statements from Scripture, right? Um, the, God brings Israel out of Egypt, and He's wanting to bring them in. He brought them out so He could bring them in. He's wanting to bring them into the promised land of their best life, right? And, and this is what they said to God um, on this journey between uh, Egypt and the promised land. After all that God did for them, brought them out with a mighty hand, brought them through the Red Sea, okay? This is what they accused God of. They said this. They said, because there were no graves in Egypt, God has brought us now into the desert to kill us. Man. You talk about a hidden motive. You talk about a a secret motive, a hidden agenda. Okay? So, in other words, think about it now, what they're saying. It's easier to talk about them than it is to talk about us, okay? So, ultimately, we've got to make some personal tie-in here, but let's talk about them for a minute. In other words... What are they saying? They're saying that all of this was nothing more than God pretending like he wanted to get us out of Egypt when it was actually an elaborate plan to bring us to a place where no one would be available to bury us after he kills us. See, you hear the expression of fate worse than death. A fate worse than death to them was to die and not have a proper burial. So now it's like we're out here in the middle of nowhere. We're all going to die, and our carcasses are just going to lay out here unburied. Right? And this, this is the cruel trick that God has played on us. I'm going to take it one step further. I could take it three, but I'm just going to take it one more, okay? They're, in essence, accusing God of using His power the way a predator would use candy or a puppy to lure a child into harm's way. Think about that for a minute. That's, that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. So when, when, we don't, when we don't trust God enough to do what He says with our money, what are we saying? We're saying, God, you're just, you just trying to trick me. Right? You're you, 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 you just trying to break me. You know, you, you're trying to get my lights turned off. You're trying to get my gas turned off. you you're trying to take food out of my children's mouths, commanding me to give you 10% of my income. You see what I'm saying? In other words, we either do it or we don't trust him enough to do it. We've already received an offer. Don't start getting nervous. We either do it or we don't trust him enough to do it, right? But notice, what are we saying when we don't do it? What, what are we accusing him of by default? We're accusing him of not wanting something good for us or better for us. We're accusing him of, of going through all of this trouble just so he can make us impoverished. And that, my friend, is not who he is. Well, let me give you a, a, a New Testament example of this because it doesn't seem like that Old Testament one's going over too well with you, with you all. Amen. How about they're in the boat going across the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes up. Jesus is asleep in the boat and what do they say? Do you not care 
that we're perishing? Do you not care? Now think about what, this is the one who is about to die for them, okay? And they're accusing him of not caring. So one more time, amen. Every word God has ever spoken to you or about you has been with your best interest in mind. God only wants good for you. This cannot be overlooked when he says, if you love me, do what I say. Doing what God says is the best thing you can do for him because it is the best thing you can do for yourself. Okay? All this is repetitive. It bears repeating. I don't apologize for it, okay? So doing what God says requires trusting him because what? All the ways of God are designed to teach you to trust him. Amen. All right, go with me now to Luke, Luke chapter 6. Again, this was a, a verse that I referred to last week, but we never opened and looked at. Luke chapter 6. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, now, I'm not going to repeat all the things that we said last week because we'll, we won't have time for new stuff. But last week, we looked closely at Peter's denial of Jesus, okay, and then his restoration. Now, if you are a student of the Word of God, you'll know real quick, like, that God does not hide from you and from me the failures of his heroes. And that's not because God's trying to embarrass them or, or shame them or air their dirty laundry. But remember, this was written for you and me and to serve as an example for us to learn from and to follow. Amen. And so we can learn from the Word of God what to do, and we can learn from the Word of God what not to do. We can, we can see, to me, if, if we can learn from Peter's mistakes and where he went wrong and not repeat those same mistakes that's not just value in it for us but it's redemptive value in it for him amen in other words think about as parents or as friends you know if if we make a mistake and there's some consequence in our lives then we do not want people that we love to make that same mistake we want them to learn from what our mistakes so that they can avoid those same consequences and, and in essence, be... Um, the Bible uses this, this uh, Greek word that has to do with a throwing or a propelling forward. In, in, in other words, we're, we, we might say it this way in our English language, growing in leaps and bounds, right? In other words, you can grow gradually and incrementally, and that's important, but then there's also... Um, things that you can learn from God that, that will propel you forward, giant leaps forward. Amen. And some of those lessons are lessons that, that you can, quote-unquote, inherit. What does it mean to inherit something? To inherit something is where you receive for free what it costs somebody else, um, right? And so Peter's mistake here cost him dearly, but you can learn it for free, and not have to learn it the hard way, right? You don't have to learn every lesson from the school of hard knocks. 
you don't have to learn every lesson, you know, by, you know, people say, well, I just got to get in there and learn for myself. Well, amen, but that, that doesn't mean repeating mistakes that other people have already made and learned from uh, and that we can learn those lessons and, and keep moving forward, right? Where their ceiling becomes our floor, where, you know, they, they took everything that they learned, right, and then, and then built upon it. Bill Johnson talks a lot about second-generation revival and how rare of a thing it is. And it's because first-generation revivalists are so busy, you know, doing revival that they don't take the time to teach revival principles to the, to the, to the ones coming behind them. Amen. We, we see this, right? We see David teaching Solomon, right? But then the wheels kind of start coming off after that. <laughs> and so um, we want to benefit, right? That's why the Bible tells us, godly men and women, that we should follow their example, that we should listen to them and learn from them, not just what they say, but from their lifestyle, from, from the things that they've done, you know, and what's, what's working uh, in, in their lives. Are you following what I'm saying? See, I've, I've had, a, a, you know, great examples, plural, um, but I have watched my mom and dad. I have watched what has worked in their life now for many, many years, right? And it's God's word and it's God's ways. And if it'll work in their life, it'll work in my life. And if it'll work in my life, it'll work in my children's lives. And if it'll work in my children's lives, it'll work in my grandchildren's lives. Amen. And so, you know, they, they do not want the lessons that they learned to, 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 to go to heaven with them one day. They want those lessons to be passed to me. That's that verse we looked at last week, 3 John verse 4, no greater joy than to hear that my children continue in the truth. They continue in the word of God. So Peter made some mistakes, and it's all right here for us, not because God's trying to shame him or embarrass him. He was forgiven, obviously, and restored, went on to greatness, greater greatness in, in the kingdom. But we have those things recorded uh, so that we can learn from them. And what we see is that ultimately Peter denied Jesus because he didn't trust Jesus. Now I know that may sound a little strong, especially if you weren't here for the 30 minutes or so that I took last week to really lay that groundwork. But Peter denied Jesus because he didn't trust Jesus and chose to go, in the heat of the moment, Peter chose to go with what made sense, seemed right, and felt safe to him in that moment. In other words, Peter leaned to his own understanding and chose to try and save himself. Peter didn't deny Jesus. This right here, and maybe we don't get much further than this this morning, but we got to, see, let's go back to it. Father is weary of his children loving him but not trusting him, okay? So, so why is that? It's because we are being deceived into thinking that a fondness for the Lord in our heart somehow equals a trust in Him with our lives. And it does not. It does not. Peter didn't deny Jesus for a lack of love for Jesus. He meant every word that he said about loving him. He meant every word that he said about dying for him. He meant every word that he said when he professed his confidence and boldness. He wasn't like in his heart, no, yeah, I'm going to deny him, can't wait to do it, but let me show off for my buddies here. No, he, in the moment, that's, that, are you hearing what I'm saying? In the moment, his, his affection for Jesus 
deceived him into thinking that he would trust Jesus with his life when it came time to do it. But when it came time to do it, his love for Jesus did not prevent him from denying Jesus. Okay? Now, what we learn by looking at those words, and I'm going to put them up on the screen again, is that Peter had what the Bible calls philo for Jesus. Philo is a warm, fond, affectionate feeling for Jesus. But he did not have agape, and that's what Jesus kept asking him in John 21. He kept saying, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter kept saying, I philo you, Jesus, because he's thinking in his heart that philo, friendship, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, right? He's thinking that that is the the greater or the more important love. And so hear me, please. You know, if you wanted to take one side of this and argue that agape, which is love is an act of the will, I'm going to put the definition on the screen in just a minute. But if if you wanted to take one side of this and you could argue, well, which one is better, which one is more important? The reality of it is it's it's not an either or, it's a both and. Father wants you to have warm, fond, affectionate feelings for him because he certainly has them for you. I am a friend of God and he considers you and calls you a friend, Right? But your friendship with him can never become an excuse for not listening to him and taking seriously what he tells you to do, right? And I think this is ultimately what was at the root of Peter's failure. So let me, let me put this up here, right? So philo, translated in the English New King James Version of the Bible as love, Right? It means warm, fond, affectionate feelings often associated with friendship. I mean, Peter and Jesus were close. On the rare occasion that Jesus selected from his disciples, um, you know, men to see and experience and, and be in on things that the others were not, Peter was always in that mix, Peter, James, and John. They were the ones on Mount Transfiguration, not when Jesus was transfigured before them and Elijah and Moses is standing there talking with Jesus and encouraging him. Not all the 12 were in on that. So, you know, if the 12 were the inner circle, Peter was a member of the inner, inner circle. I mean, he, he was right there. Are you following what I'm saying? So he and Jesus were close. And so philo is this warm, fond, affectionate feelings often associated with friendship. Agape on the other stand. On the other hand, rather, is, again, translated love. You, you won't know unless you use a cross-reference or, or a Bible dictionary or what have you. But agape, it means to esteem, okay? To esteem, indicating a direction of the will. You understand a direction of the will, we're talking about a choice. An act of the will is when you choose to do something or you choose not to do it. But before we, let me read the whole thing and we'll come back. So agape includes the ideas of duty, come on now, respect, devotion, service, and faithfulness. Okay? With God's help, I have been successfully married to Pam since July of 1987. Amen. Right? And I will tell you straight up, she is still, remains to this day, my best friend on this planet, okay? We have 
in our relationship both philo and agape. Are you hearing me? This is, this is a key element in any healthy relationship. Now, when it comes to a marriage relationship, there's also a Greek word for a romantic love and intimate love. And then there's another word, uh, sturgio, or have you say that? It's different pronunciations. That has to do with a familial love, okay? And so, for, for that matter, we have all four of those working in our relationship, okay? But not just a marriage relationship. In a, in a deep, uh, committed uh, friendship, um, how about my relationship with my earthly father, Okay? There are things that I do because I have warm, fond, affectionate feelings in my heart for him. I enjoy being in his company. I enjoy doing things with him. I enjoy conversations with him. But then there are also things that as a son, I do as a, out of duty, respect, devotion, service, and faithfulness. And, and I don't apologize for that. I, that's, that's part of it. Are you following what I'm saying? See, where, pe- where, where marriages get off, off course is, is when there's only philo and no agape. And, and, and so if we don't feel like showing our spouse respect or serving him or her in some way, are you following what I'm saying? See, see so, so philo is, is about more about the feelings. And feelings are wonderful. Don't misunderstand me. They're beautiful. And, and God created us with the ability to experience them and to express them with the capacity, right, to, to, to enjoy uh, the warm, fond, affectionate feelings. But we know from Jesus' teachings that philo will only carry you so far. If you only rely on philo in your life, you will never have the life God created you to live. So, Because he says things like, agape your enemies. Right? As the light of the world, we have a duty. Are you hearing me? As those who know God, we have a duty. To love the unlovable. We have a duty to greet people and speak to people who may not be our favorite person. To include people. It's about respect. Don't get me started on that. You know they don't make the kids say yes sir and no sir and yes ma'am and no ma'am in school anymore, right? See, it's about respect. It's about devotion. It's about faithfulness. This, this is agape. And notice, again, it, it's, it begins with this word to esteem. You understand what esteem means? To esteem something means to value it. Who decides what you value? Who decides you know, what, what is a priority in your life? You decide that. It's, we're talking about a choice now. We're not talking about falling into something or falling out of something. That would be more like philo, right? You know, we, we said that philo seems to come out of nowhere and, and yet have always been. You follow what I'm saying? I can't, I can't imagine even hardly life what it was even like before Pam, you know, you follow what I'm saying? This is wonderful. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I hate to treat, cheapen it by magical, but magical in the, in, the, in the most godly sense of the word that I know how to use it. And Peter had philo in spades for Jesus. But then we come to this choice, this direction of the will. 
the duty, the respect, the devotion, the service, the faithfulness. Can I tell you what all of those things have in common? It's something that we learn. We learn duty. We apply ourselves to it. We could throw in here with all these words loyalty. Serving God. These are things that we learn to do. These are things that we develop in our lives. Amen. So let's, let's get back to it now. Praise God. So Peter's affection for Jesus made him feel far more committed than he actually was. Peter's affection for Jesus made him feel far more committed than he actually was. I've seen it in my own life. And I have certainly seen it in the lives of many, many, many people over my years of of pastoring and, and serving. Peter's affection for Jesus made him feel far more committed than he actually was. Fond feelings for Jesus are no substitute for trusting Him and choosing to do what He says. Do you see how Philo and Agape come together in that statement right there? What was lacking in Peter's life? Why did Peter fail? Why did Peter deny? Why did Peter, after making all those bold uh, confessions of faith about how he would stand with Jesus and Jesus had no idea what he was talking about and over my dead body will I deny you and meant every word of it, right? Why? It's because he was long on Philo but short on Agape. Guess which one develops trust in your life? Guess which one? See, again, I'm not saying that Philo, you know, you can have warm, fine, affectionate feelings for somebody but not trust them at all. I've almost said this twice. I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I don't want you to, you can pray for me if you think I'm being disrespectful or whatever, okay? Uh, I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, help me see this. I, I know what you're saying here to me, but, but how, how could you have fond, affectionate feelings for another, another person that, that you really don't trust? Or even, he said, not even that you don't trust. He said, you can have fond, affectionate feelings for a person you don't even know, that you've never met. And I'm like, Lord, I, I'm not sure about this. And so, Many of you know, I make no apologies for it, I enjoy the television show called The Voice. And part of that is my enjoyment of music, but the biggest part of that is, and I sit there and cry, when people who have had this gift their whole lives, but, you know, have only sang for their mama, and their mama's told them they can sing, but they still don't know if they can, but they get up the courage and the gumption to get a microphone in their hand and sing to the, to the backs of four people's chairs. And they discover in that moment that they really are gifted and, and talented. So I, I, there's, that's probably the main reason why I enjoy that show. But this is, again, I don't even know this man, but I have a fond place in my heart for a judge on that show named Blake Shelton. I don't really care for his music. I don't, I, don't, I don't really listen to country music at all. 
But let me tell you why I have a fond, my daughter's laughing at me. You hear it back there, right? Let me tell you why I have a fond affection in my heart for that man. It's because he genuinely cares about the people on his team. People that don't even make it to the finale on his team. He works with them. He lets them sing with him. He lets them open with him. He, he wants to nurture and develop. It's more than just something that he does. And, and there's, I respect that in a, in, a, in a person's life that wants to help mentor other people and, and bring them up in what they're called and gifted by God to do. Amen. And I see that in him. And, it, and I have a fondness in my heart. I always hope his people win. I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds silly, but I, but I do, right? I don't know him. You follow what I'm saying? I don't know him, but I have a fondness and affection for him in my heart. Are you seeing this, right? I'm not trying to trivialize this, but I'm, I'm going to go back to it. Peter's affection for Jesus made him feel far more committed than he actually was. Foreign feelings for Jesus are no substitute for trusting him and choosing to do what he says. All right, now we fix to get down to the nitty-gritty. Can, you, can we get there together? All right. It is easy. Let me put it up on the screen. Ha, see, the enemy doesn't want you seeing that. Thank you, Jesus. My whole screen just went blank. Praise God. All right, I'm not giving up here. Everybody blessed? You getting anything out of this? All right, here we go. You ready? It's easy to point to the special place Jesus has in your heart when excusing yourself from duties like faithfulness to his house, seeking his kingdom first, daily time in his word and prayer, honoring him with the tithe, taking time to serve him and others. I don't know what I was expecting there, but I don't guess I was expecting an amen. See, see, it's... It, this is how we excuse ourselves from these things. Right? It's how Peter excused himself from praying. It's how Peter excused himself from humbling himself and saying to Jesus, Jesus, this is the last thing in the world I want to do. Can you please show me how I can ever keep from... But see, no, no. He, he, his fondness made him feel more committed than he actually was. I wish I could tell you this was a rare thing, but it's not. There are people who have not, I'm their servant leader, I'm their pastor, and this is their church. God forbid, but if they were to die tomorrow, their family would call me to do their funeral. Haven't been here in two or three years, but in their minds, in their minds, they believe they have. You say, oh, no, no, no. See, in their minds. Listen, we don't, we don't keep attendance here. The Lord does. We don't. The Bible says every time a group of people get together to talk about him, he records it in a book. That's in the, in the prophet Malachi. God revealed that to his people through Malachi. That means somewhere in heaven right now, there are at least one angel, if not more. I don't know how they do it. Maybe they record it. And, and, but see, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think it's so precious that it's written in calligraphy. And that's just my guesstimation on these things. Let, let me, let me uh, Oliver turns three tomorrow. 
okay? And there are so many events from his life that, that we have chosen to record, that we've chosen things we, we wanted to write down and what remember. So this book of remembrance, the Bible says through Malachi, that, that God records it all in a book. You see, somewhere right now, <clears throat> there's, there's an, like a court reporter. You know what I'm talking about, how the court reporter? Because that's important, right? What's said in a courtroom is important. And so there's somebody sitting there, every word that's spoken, they're, they're, they're writing it down, okay? So somewhere in heaven right now, there's an angel. He's written down the name of every person that's in this room, every person that's watching online, every word that's been spoken out in the hallways, greeting one another, um, every word that I've said, every word that was sung, the words that Matt said. All of that, that's how precious. You talk about esteeming something, valuing something, that's how precious this is to our Father. So again, we don't, we don't take role here, right? We're not, not here to try to jack somebody up, okay? All right? I would recommend that you, as, as, as somebody who maybe you've noticed some people that used to sit around you that are missing, why don't you give them a call, right? They expect me to check on them, amen? That's what you're paid to do, right? Now, how about, how about but again, but... I, I got to get back to my point. Maybe they know that it's been a long time since they've been in God's house, okay? I mean, it's COVID, right? I mean, you know, it's COVID. We can't go to church during COVID. I mean, we can go to the restaurant. We can go to the grocery store. We can go to work. We can go to the ball game. We can go, don't get, see, I'm feeling that come out of my ankles up to my throat. But, let me, but we can't go to God's house because it's COVID, okay? But, amen, all right? But the Lord knows the special place he has in my heart. You see you see how this works, right? The Lord knows that I love him. The Lord knows. How dare you question it, right? See, it's, it's almost kind of like the thing. Right? So it's so easy to point to the special place Jesus has in your heart when excusing yourself from the duties. See, one's philo, one's agape. We have a duty to assemble ourselves together. Not because I said so, but because the head of the church told us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He said that, not me. And when he said it, they met every day of the week. We have a duty, a responsibility, a devotion to faithfully seek his kingdom first. I love what Keith Moore says about this. There, there can only be one first. There's only one first place. There's only one first place. And parents, it's so important to teach our children that there's only one first place. And there are some things in life that we might just have to move to second place to put God and His house first place. Daily time in His Word and prayer. Oh, Pastor Mark, I'm just so busy, but the Lord knows I love Him. Lord knows I believe in him. Me and the good Lord, right? Man upstairs. Honoring him with a tithe. It's a duty. It's a devotion. Taking time to serve him and others. See, we've, we've reduced serving God to coming to church. Coming to church isn't serving God. Coming to church is, is coming to fellowship and, and, and bless the Lord and be blessed by Him, receive from Him, get fueled up, get tanked up, get hear the Word, faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, you know, and then go and actually do some service. But man, we, in, in our day and age, it's like coming to church is serving God. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Unless there's something else we want to do on Sunday, and then we'll serve Him next week. 
You see, choosing to not do what he says doesn't necessarily mean you have no philo for him. But remember, philo was not Peter's problem. Agape was. Agape was. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. I didn't get as far as I wanted to get, but I think we've gone far enough. Amen. These are not my most favorite sermons to deliver, but amen. This is the stuff we need to hear. I got my eyes closed, but I believe you're agreeing with me. This is the stuff that we need to hear. In Luke 6, Jesus talked about two people who loved him. Two people who called him Lord, Lord. Two people who hung on every word he said. Two people who had fond affection for him in their hearts. But one of those men took it upon himself as a duty, as a responsibility, as a devotion, as faithfulness to not just hear what God said to him through Jesus, but to do it. The other guy says, you know, all that foundational digging stuff, that's, that's just too much. And who wants to deal with things from the past? Who wants to, you know, let the Holy Spirit help us change the way we think? The Lord knows I love him. Right? So he made excuses. He was either too timid or too settled or too lazy or whatever to actually do what Jesus said. But, hey, Jesus, you know, man. Me and you, we tight. But then the pressure came, right? Then the problem came. Then as whatever insurance company used to say, life comes at you fast. Life came at them both fast. And you already know which one was still standing when the dust settled and which one had completely collapsed. Father, thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for what you're saying to us. Father, I believe you are saying to your people, not just to us here at Heritage, but but Father, to your people, um, that you are weary of us loving you but not trusting you. You are weary of us talking about how how committed we are to you because our philo for you is making us believe we're far more committed than we actually are. Father, I, I, I publicly apologize if I have been too, too strong or too brash this morning. Father, that's not my intent. That's not my heart. But Father, I, I want your people to benefit from your truth and your wisdom working in our lives. Father, that we would commit ourselves in 2022 to not just having warm, fond, affectionate feelings for you, but to esteem and value you and your words in our lives above everything else. And that as an act of our will, we commit ourselves to not just hearing what you say, but actually applying what you say to our lives, to actually doing it. Father, to realize that there is a responsibility, there's a duty, there, there, there is a devotion that's associated with the right kind of love, Father, for you. And I thank you, Father, that you are, you are bringing these things, Lord, to the surface in our lives. Father, forgive me.
for using my love for you as an excuse for not obeying you in every little detail and specific thing, Lord, that you speak to my heart to do. I've played a little too fast and loose with that, Father, and I thank you. I've already asked you privately, but Lord, I I say it publicly, one, because, Lord, it's it's good for me to do that, confess confess our faults one to another, but Lord, also, Lord, I, I want... I want other folks to understand what we're talking about here specifically, Lord. Father, there are, there are things that you have instructed us to do, that you've spoken to our hearts to do, that for whatever reason we haven't followed through on. may not be the same thing for me as it is for other people in this room, but Father, things that we have not followed through on, Lord, and, and we've used our friendship with you as an excuse for our disobedience. Holy Spirit, help us to repent, help us to to change and to esteem the instructions and the commands of the Lord, value them in 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 the highest and <laughs> Lord that again there's only one first place and may you and your words, Father, occupy that place in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, your love that nobody's told you that this morning. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Good things coming. Protection from uh, Omicron and all that other stuff that's going on in our world today. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.